just as a baby is growing and forming into a being, a human being that can support life on its own, but yet cannot yet. That's the point that we are in. So we are developing who we are and who we will be. We're setting in place what at the core of, of what we are today and what we will be five years from now. So your baby, when they're born, hopefully is not the way that they will be five years from now. That baby's going to grow, it's going to develop. Hopefully my, my daughter, not hopefully, but my daughter did just start kindergarten two weeks ago. And she could not have done that when she was two months old. That's, that's what she has to mature and develop to that point. But we could see traces of who Sophia was going to be and is today at five years old when she was an infant. How many of you guys enjoy had children or have children? You enjoy watching, like, what's this baby? What, what's their personality going to be like? What, what are they going to really get into? What are their talents going to be? And you can kind of see it kind of forming real early on. And like, oh, I, I think she might be athletic, or I think she might be artistic, or I think she might be smart, or might be all, all three of those things, like Hudson back there on the back. <laughs> what? What? You're not supposed to laugh that hard when I say that. But you get a glimpse of that very early on, and that's what we're doing here. We're developing what we're about. And so we spent the summer talking about Jesus, worship, community, and mission. Those are our four key values. When you break us down at the heart of who we are, that is what we're about, and that's what we're going to be about. First of all, we're about Jesus. We're not about doxa. We're not about building a kingdom. We're not about building an awesome platform so people can hear my amazing speaking ability, because if that's what we're doing, then frankly, we're building a house of cards. We're not built as awesome as Wombat is. We're not trying to build a venue for people to come and hear him rock out with an amazing band. That's not what we're about. We're about Jesus Christ. We're a group of people who have been captured by the beauty and wonder and grace that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. See, anytime you find something of value, find something that you think is like really worth something, then you assign value to it and you give yourself to it proportionally to the value that you determine. So, um, so you, you assign a particular value. If you are an owner of an iPhone and you like love that iPhone and you're all about to use an iPhone and your hand is always connected to it, like at least one or two people in this room right now, and you found it to be like something of value, then you assign value to it. Somebody else may not give you five dollars for it, but you assign value to it. And there's a fire that happens in the house, you'd like to think you would grab your child first, but you'd probably grab the phone on the way to grab your child and take him out of the house. Possibly. Or whatever the thing of value is for you. Yesterday, some of you, some of us, worshipped yesterday as the Gamecocks, I'm sorry if this is the party that you fall into, but as the Gamecocks defeated their opponent yesterday. It was just East Carolina, but they defeated them very soundly with a backup quarterback. And you may have worshipped yesterday because you placed value for some stupid reason upon the South Carolina Gamecocks. Some of you may have found value yesterday. Some of you may have worshipped yesterday when Clemson just put opened up a can on their opponents. Now, you know, it, it wasn't it was just ball state. But 
But they opened up a can of and you worship every touchdown, every run, every toss. You were like, yes, because you have found value. Again, as a Clemson fan, probably not the smartest place to put it, but you found value in Clemson football. Today, some of you may have worshipped because you put value in the Panthers. Some of you may are going to worship later on tonight because you unfortunately put value in the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Broncos. But whenever you find value in something, you give yourself to it proportionally to the value that you place on it. And when you find Jesus Christ, as I have found Jesus Christ, as many of us in this room have found Jesus, to be of ultimate value. It's, scripture tells us that He is the one who created the world and that He was created for Him, that He is the one that created us and we are created for Him. Augustine said, our hearts are made for you and they are restless until they find rest in you. When you find Jesus to be of that kind of value, you cannot help but to give your whole life to him. And whatever he asks of you and whatever type of lifestyle change that requires of you, it's not something that you have to do. It's not something you grit your teeth. It's not something you have to check off a list. It's something you get to joyously do because you have found him to be of infinitely more value than anything else in existence. And that's why when you come to know Jesus, he creates worship, which is our second value. Worship includes, but is not uh, it's not exclusive to singing songs like we just sang, or that we're going to sing at the end. The mullet, short in the front, long in the back, the worship mullet. That worship includes that, but it is not limited to that. Worship, when I have found Jesus to be the ultimate value, I respond with my whole life to Him. And everything everything becomes worship to him. Worship is by nature a response. I have found him and he has done something for me and I respond to that with my whole life. And then the third thing that that creates, that Jesus creates, is he creates community. When you find your identity and your value in Jesus Christ and what he did for you and not just your own identity or what you think people think about you or what you think about yourself, when you place your value in Jesus, he changes your identity so that you can be real. Because, frankly, we are all in this room, we're all messed up. Let's just put that on the table. Let's be real about this. We are all in the same boat. We are all messed up. None of us, nobody in here, no matter how awesome you may look sitting there, smiling back at me, putting on your best face, no matter who you are, you are messed up. You are a sinful, broken human being. I am a sinful, broken human being. And whenever I'm not placing my value or my righteousness with God, my standing before God based upon what I am doing, but I rather have placed it upon what Jesus has done for me, then I can be real about my junk with you. And you can be real about your junk with me. And that's what creates true community. And then together as a community, we live on mission. So Jesus left and he gave us a job to do. And that job is to glorify him and all that we do and to share the good news about what he has done with all of us all, all the people around us, and that comes through 
the words that we say and the way that we live our lives. But it's not something that you and I are called to do simply alone. It's called it's a team sport. Uh, Christianity is not golf. No matter how much you may or may not like golf, it's not golf. It's not something that you go out and play and your score, you just put it down. Christianity is a team sport. It's more like football. Because sometimes it's full contact and it's rough and it's messy and it's dirty and there's kind of a ugly underbelly to it sometimes, but the truth is we're all on the team together. And that is how we live on mission. We live on mission together as a team, on a community on mission. And so we've been talking about our values and uh, going into this fall, we're talking about our mission. So our value, that's who we are, Jesus, worship, community, mission, mission and mission, that's what we're about, that's what we're going to be about. Five years from now, ten years from now, by God's grace, 50 years from now, that's what we're going to be about. And our mission is what we do. And that is, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We don't get to make up our mission, Jesus gave it to us. He's the commander in chief, he's the lead pastor, I'm not the lead pastor. Nobody else here is ever going to be the lead pastor. Jesus is the lead pastor. He's the one in charge. He's the one calling the shots. And all the rest of us who are underneath him are just under pastors underneath him. He calls the deal. And he said, this is the mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. And so we don't get to make it like a cool mission that we're going to do. That's what we're going to be about. We're going to make disciples. And then we define what the disciple is at the end of that statement. A disciple is somebody who joyfully worships Jesus with their whole life. And so what we're doing this fall is we're talking about what exactly is a disciple. If that's what we're supposed to be doing, if that's what we are, then what is a disciple? And last week we talked about how a disciple is somebody who is a, a new creation. Uh, that being a disciple does not mean that you simply believe something different than you used to. Though it will involve belief. Being a disciple does not mean that you started living life a different way than you used to live it. Though it will include that. But a, a being a disciple is being made a new creature by the power of the Holy Spirit awakening your heart. That's the pathway to discipleship. Jesus sat down with Nicodemus, who was a powerful, we think probably wealthy, and very learned man in the Jewish religion. And he came to him in the middle of the night, and he asked him a question, and Jesus' response to the question, well, actually, he didn't even ask him a question, he just said, we know that you're from God, and Jesus responded by saying, nobody can see the kingdom unless they are born again, unless you are born a new, as a new creature. You're born from above. You cannot be, you cannot see the kingdom. But becoming a Christian doesn't mean believing that something supernatural happened in Jesus. Being a Christian means that something supernatural has happened in you because of what Jesus did. That at the very core of your being, God's Holy Spirit has come to live. Look at Ex, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 36. 
And let's just be honest, if you need to like, sometimes there's pressure when the guy's up front mentions a, 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 like a prophet or a minor prophet back in the middle part of the book, and you're like, oh man, it's going to take me forever to get here. Let's just be honest, it's hard to find some of these books sometimes. So just feel free. If you have to like flip around, if you look at your table of contents, no big deal. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Thirty-six, verse twenty-four. This is God's great promise to His people in the Old Testament. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So let me ask you this question. I asked it last week if you were here, so you can cheat, but... You were here last week, or not? Who is doing the actions in this section? God's. Dude, I just gave you the. He said, "I will take you from the nations and bring you into your own. I will sprinkle clean water on you." I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Who's doing the action? God's doing the action. Who is the object of the action? Who is it being done to? Who? To, to me, to you, to us. So God did a work that you could not do and I could not do because until he does that to you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you need God to breathe his life in you and to give you a new heart. Because the problem before you were a Christian wasn't that you were doing bad things. Though that's not good and it is a problem. But that's not the core of the problem. The problem wasn't that you believed the wrong things. You can actually believe the right things and not be a Christian. The problem is that apart from God breathing life into you and his spirit coming to live inside you, you are dead. And you are under the wrath of God. That's the problem. The problem isn't that you're bad. The problem is you're dead. And God's great promise to us in Jesus is that he will make us a new creation. In 2 Corinthians it says, but so much new that the all that was old has passed away and it's totally brand new way of living. New has come. So the way you become a Christian, the way you become a disciple, is you become a new creation.
create a new creation. You are born anew or born from above. It's a supernatural thing that happens in your heart. Where you are dead and he makes you alive. That's a miracle. Listen, guys, like I mentioned last week, if we we, if one of us were to go outside, get hit by a truck, one of you guys goes out and prays for that person, and they were dead and they become alive, we would think that's an amazing miracle, and it would be an amazing, blowing your mind miracle. But it is no less of a miracle. In fact, it is a greater miracle that God would take somebody who is rebellious and against him, hard-hearted, hard-necked, has no part of him, is, is totally going the opposite way, is dead in their trespasses and sin, and he makes them alive again by his Holy Spirit. That is a miracle of the hundred degree. It is amazing. So the first thing about a disciple is a disciple is a new creation. And the second thing about a disciple is a disciple is growing. A disciple is a new creation, and a disciple is growing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth, but he's also talking to you and to me. For consider your calling, brothers, also sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That means, um, let's be honest, um, if God was picking teens, like you remember being in, uh, in school and you're out back and play some kickball or some softball or volleyball and everybody gets lined up and they start picking teens, what he's saying there is, you wouldn't be the first person somebody would go for. There weren't many of you who were like super cool and smart and like God said, I got to get this person on my team if I'm going to win. In fact, he said that God chose the weakest, stupidest, redneckest people that he could find and said, I am going to save them in order to show how awesome and powerful I am. So that nobody else could look, could look on and say, you know what, no wonder they're on God's team. They're really smart and they're good looking and they're athletic and they're like, they're the cream of the crop. He said, no, I'm gonna choose the weakest and the lowest things in the world. I'm gonna choose people from Loris and Aider. I'm gonna choose people from the wrong side of the track. I'm gonna choose people who have a pretty bad background. I'm going to choose people whose families aren't the most respectable ones. That's the people I'm going to go at because whenever I save them and I make them into a new creation in their life 
starts to look different, even though I'm cutting ahead, that's what comes later. When their life starts to look different, I am going to be the only one that can get the glory. I'm the only one that can get the credit for it. God has designed salvation so the way you enter into the kingdom and the way you grow into the kingdom, as you are in the kingdom, is only by his glory. He's the one that gets all the credit for it. Not you and not me. It's only him. And so that's where the, the four values that we have start to loop back around. So when people come to know him through mission, it creates worship centered around Jesus. Because he's the one that gets all the glory for saving them and remaking them and putting his life into them. The God, verse 27, shows what is foolish in the world to what? Shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This also enables us to live in community because we can be real that because I'm weak and because I'm not wise, because I'm stupid, that qualifies me to entry into the God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, this is why he did it, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So when we're all reunited with God, and he set up his throne, and we're all hanging around, none of us are saying, you know what? I am so glad I was smart enough to make the decisions I needed to make to get me in. You know, we're saying, I'm laying my, my crown, my being here, I'm laying everything at your feet because you're the one who did it all. And so you get all the glory. No boasting. Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That sounds a lot like that part in Ezekiel that we read, right? He said, I will put my spirit within you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. And it says here, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us, there's four key words in this section. Wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So this is what it's saying. It's saying, to reiterate all that I was just saying, or I'm reiterating what it was saying, rather, that first of all, Jesus became to us wisdom. So your ability to like see that you were a sinner and that God was holy and that there was this giant gulf between you and him that you could not bridge and that you were under the rightful wrath of God and that you were dead and you needed Jesus Christ to make you alive, that you had to confess your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on your behalf, that your ability to see that came from guess who? Jesus. 
he's become to you wisdom. And the second thing, and righteousness. That, that your right standing before God is not based at all, one iota, on what you did, have done, or will do. You may be a really good person and you've lived an awesome life. You may have, especially since you became a Christian, you have been, you've just been hitting it out of the park every day. But your right standing before God is not based upon your ability to knock the ball out of the park and do your quiet time and share your faith and uh, pray for hours at a time and to react to your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or mother or father in the, a great, awesome attitude like a Disney character, like the sun rising and bluebirds are floating around your bed as you wake up in the morning and you're smiling and just life is pleasant. You're skipping through and, you know, little wild animals are at your feet singing songs because life is going so smooth and you're such a wonderful person. Your right standing before God is not based upon that. Your right standing before God is based upon what Jesus did for you on the cross. That you and I owed a debt for our sin because we were sinners, but yet because we were dead in our trespasses and sin, there was nothing that we could do about it. We were separated and we were under the wrath and that was the rightful place for us. But Jesus, but Jesus on the cross Pay the penalty that you or I could not pay. And today is seated at the right hand of the Father with as living proof. Today, in a human body, with pierced hands and a hole in his side. Saying, I have paid their debt. They are in right standing, not because of what they have done what I have done for them. That's called being justified. That's where you are made just or right before God, not because anything has changed in you, but because of what Jesus did for you. But then look at the next thing that he says that Jesus has been made to us. He's made to us wisdom, this ability to see what's going on here. He's been made to us righteousness. That's my standing before God. And he's been made to us. I remember reading this years ago. And this went off like a, like fireworks inside of me. Not like lame fireworks. I'm talking about like Broadway the Beach fireworks. Not like neighborhood pop-off. I'm talking about like exploding. I'm talking about 2nd Avenue Pier, 4th of July fireworks. You guys ever been down there and just fills the sky and it's reflecting? It's like, it's awesome. Like, that kind of fireworks exploded inside me when I saw not only is Jesus my right standing before God, but he is my sanctification. And he is my redemption. So if my justification, stick with me, my justification is me being made right before God, not because of what I have done, but what Jesus did for me, my sanctification is, you can explain a lot of different ways, but my sanctification is me coming to live more and more each day in line with this new reality. 
Uh, we hung out last night with a couple, really cool couple. Uh, they, uh, they're a really cool couple. And they, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think how to describe it, but let's just say they're fairly wealthy. And they adopted two children from Russia two years ago. Now those children grew up, the oldest daughter was five years old, in an orphanage, two different orphanages in Russia. And so they had, they had no citizenship in America, they had no rights here, they had, they had nothing going for them. Their life was a dead end set up for them until their parents came to Russia and adopted them and brought them back home. And so their short little lives have been spent figuring out what it means to live in their new identity as a son and daughter of a wealthy American family with all the legal rights that their children would have if they birthed them they are continually growing and knowing what that means. And that, they, they will be no more children of that couple a year from now than they are today, but they may know more about the perks of being those kids, the kids of that family a year from now than they do today. And that's what sanctification is. It's us organically and progressively realizing more and more what this new identity means to me. So, if justification is my being made right before God by the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, my sanctification, that is my growing in, in Jesus, uh, has to do with actually becoming more and more like Jesus, day by day, progressively, organically, in the way that I think, in the way I feel, in the way I talk, in the way I act. So if justification is being made right legally before God, being made holy or set apart before God, then sanctification is each thought and way of thinking, each word and way of speaking, each action and way I act, becoming more and more holy and looking more and more like Jesus. And here's the great thing to celebrate in the Christian life, is that that doesn't happen by you striving or by me striving. Because you striving is not how you enter the kingdom of God, is it? It's just by placing your trust in what? What Jesus Christ did for you and who he is. Do you know how you grow as a believer? By placing your trust more and more in the way that you think and feel and act in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the Holy Spirit miraculously powerfully, mysteriously applying what Jesus did for you in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, 
Jesus Christ has been made to us, not only our righteousness, but our sanctification. That is the way we grow as believers. And so that's how I can say this statement. A believer, a disciple, is growing. A disciple is growing. It's sort of like a continuum, right? Um, so, uh, when a woman, we've been talking about, well, I'm about talking about a woman getting pregnant, right? Uh, or pregnant women and how he felt, you can understand stupidly, like what they, how they think. He was a joke, by the way. And, but here's the thing about being pregnant. Um, you're not kind of pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Uh, here's the thing about being alive, like being a person. You're not like kind of a person. You're either a person or you're not. You're alive or you're dead. You're alive or you're not alive. So, just as when a woman is first pregnant, it's not like it is four or five months later. Right, Keetra? Like, things change and progress over time. And it's not like it is even three, four, five months, well, not five months after that, three, four months after that. Like, Things change and progress. And that's what it's like to be a Christian. Because being a Christian isn't about necessarily what you do. That's not where your right standing comes. That's not how you become a Christian. Or um, what you believe, though it involves both those things. Being a, being a Christian, being a disciple, is being born again. And you grow like a child you grow like a child grows inside the womb and like a child grows once they're born. It's organically and it's naturally, but they will grow. If something, if, if, if that stops, then something's wrong. If there's not growth going on, if the pregnancy is not progressing, if the child is not growing, then there's something wrong. And, and, and if you are a Christian, you're a disciple, you not only will you grow, but you are growing. But now, the way that happens, well, we'll just, we'll just jump into the deep. We're going to talk about a few things that, that if a disciple is growing, what does that mean? First of all, growth is inevitable for a Christian. Uh, just as it is for a child, just as it is for a pregnancy, growth is inevitable. It will happen. You know why? Because it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon, you know, like, you know that you need to wake up a little bit earlier and, and read the Bible. Or, or you, need to, you need to change the way you talk to your wife or to your boyfriend or your father or mother. You know that you have a problem in, in a certain area. That, that, that sin is still, still just grabs you by the throat every day. But... But you aren't a Christian because you are or are not doing those things. But you will grow because God's Spirit is living within you. And He will see that what He began in you comes to a completion. And in and, and, uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Hebrews chapter two, 12, verse 2. You guys may well know this scripture. Um, it says that he, 
that began, I'm sorry, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So he's the one that gave you faith, and he's the one that will perfect it and mature it and grow it to the end. In uh, Philippians 1, verse 6, it says that he who began a, a good work in you will complete it. He will see it through to the end. Because it doesn't want rest upon you, rest upon his Holy Spirit at work in your life. Christian growth is inevitable. It will happen. It is happening in your life. And here's the second truth. Christian growth is gradual. It doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to have somebody pray for you or uh, do a little special spell over you or read the, just the right Bible verse to you and things are going to click and you're going to be a mature Christian and you're never going to have a sinful thought again. That does not happen. That's not the way it happens. It happens just like a pregnancy, just like a child who is born gradually grows. That's the way it happens in the life of a believer. It happens over time and it looks, it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a straight line just going up like this. It looks more like, if you see this, like if the stock market goes up over a year, it's kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. Daily it closes down and down again, and then it has rallies. And so, but when you see it at the end of the year, it's all going in this direction, even though it kind of zigzags in the way up. And that's what life of a Christian is like. It's gradual. You may, you may be down here, you may be up here, but it's something that happens day by day over and over, it's inevitable and it's also gradual. The third thing is growth occurs at different rates for different people. So um, those of us who have children, it's difficult not to compare notes, even nicely, about kids, right? Like, so you ask, how's your kid? What are they doing? And you're thinking, oh, my kid, my kid's walking like, you know, five months before that. Or my kid was, my, my kid say complete sentences like three months before that, right? And you're like comparing and stuff. But, but then there's sort of the flip side, like their kid's doing some things before your kid was doing. Just as growth is different for different people, Christian growth is different for different people. We mature on different timelines. Some people may see a growth spurt that happens really early and then they kind of level off for a while and then it's kind of gradual. Some people you may see, it's just like, it never get, you think this will never get started. They're just the same as they were a year ago, two years ago. And all of a sudden, just like Hudson did, he had a growth spurt and like within six months, he grew five inches. Christian growth happens at different rates for different people. And so as Christians, we don't want to compare notes and say, oh, you need to be here. If you've been a Christian for a year, you need to be here. No, it's different. I have my struggles and you have your struggles and we bear with each other's weaknesses and we bear with each other's struggles knowing that we are growing but we're just growing at different rates. It doesn't happen like a baseball diamond. Like you hit first base and you hit a second base and third base and then you come on home. Like that's not the way Christian growth happens. It doesn't happen like, like you learn how to you one plus one and then one plus two and then one. It doesn't happen like that. It's kind of organic and messy. It's all over the place. It happens different ways and at different rates for different people. So Christian growth is inevitable, 
Growth is gradual. Growth uh, occurs at different rates for different people. And growth is only through the work of Jesus. So the way you become a Christian, again, I'm saying this over and over again. I know I'm repeating myself. But we, we have this default mode of wanting to work for our righteousness. Growth, your growth as a believer and my growth as a believer is only by the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. So I don't enter the Christian life by like putting my trust in him and then after that I have to work really hard to grow. I grow the same way I come to him. By repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Daily, over and over again, repenting of my idols and putting faith finish work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. It happens only through the work of Jesus Christ, and it happens only by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a work. It's not striving. It's not me having to grip my teeth and trying to get better and making checklists because, oh, so I, I must be growing because I did, I, I was sweet to my wife today, and I read my Bible, and I prayed a lot today, and I shared my faith with somebody today at work, and so, and I did that yesterday and the day before that, so I must be growing. Well, you may be, but it doesn't happen by you gritting your teeth. It happens by the Holy Spirit working in your life in such a way that you, as you and I grow, we don't get the glory for our growth. Jesus is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then, the last two things. Growth comes as we die to the old life and live more according to the new reality. I've already touched on that before, but um, we're told in Scripture to put to death or consider ourselves dead to our former way of life. And what that means is... Um, it's working Jesus and worship in my life. It's saying, Jesus is and should be of ultimate value. But if I have this problem with sin, if I'm having this problem with anger with my wife, if I'm having this problem with being truthful at work, then that's, what is that coming from? Where is that coming from? And I get to a place where I'm valuing something in that area more than Jesus. So I repent by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, from finding value in something other than Jesus. And I put my faith that Jesus Christ is my righteousness and that he is worth everything. And progressively over time, that sin, that weakness, that that problem that we have becomes less and less powerful, has less and less avoidance because we're finding our value in Jesus Christ. We'll go through it one more time, and then we're going to worship. Growth is inevitable for a Christian, growth is gradual, growth is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. Growth only comes through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Growth happens at a different rate for different people in different ways. 
and growth comes only as I die to my old life. And that means living more according to this new reality. And growth happens through repentance. Martin Luther said the Christian life is a life of repentance. It's a life of progressively putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not in the other idols that claim my attention and claim my love. Christian, the, Christian, the life of a Christian, the life of a disciple is a life that is growing. But it happens differently for each person, so we have to bear with each other as it happens at different rates and different ways. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the way that I come to you when I first become a believer is the same way I grow with you. The, the same way that I get right standing before you, that I have my sin washed away, is the same way that I grow, the same way that I see the way that I talk and the way that I think and the things that I do change and start to look more and more like you. And so, God, my prayer is that you would create um, here in this community of people that, we're, that we are building, that you would create a group of people who are disciples, who are growing. And because we recognize that growth comes from you alone, that we don't take credit for it, and we don't... Um, we're not judgmental about other people wherever they are. We only want to help them to see you and to find their value in you as they help me and help us to see you and find our ultimate value in you. Kind of make us into that kind of community. And God, as we come to worship you tonight, pray that you would reawaken us. God, we come from different places and watching football or hanging out with family or had a hectic day, a hectic week and we've got things ahead tonight and things ahead tomorrow, but I pray that you just help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to now for a few moments to stop and to re-remember how beautiful you are, how lovely you are. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in our midst to lift up the name the person of Jesus Christ and that we would fall in love all over again with his beautiful face, that we would be overcome again with his word for us, that we would be um, overwhelmed with the goodness that you have shown us by adopting us into your family, that, that we would be amazed with the fact that you brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, from being orphans to being your children. God, make your praise resound in our hearts as we see, feel, and know you afresh and anew tonight. In 